All right, so we continue with the Brisa of Rabbi Ishmael. The Brisa of Rabbi Ishmael in the Sidor. We're coming off of Ezehu. Um, Ezehu Mekoman Shel Zvachim. Yeah, the order of the places of the Zvachim. Now, we discussed last week the reason and the source for saying these tefillot, these, uh, why these exist in the Sidor the way they do. And the, to, to summarize, the tour in Nun, in uh, Siman Nun, speaks, brings the Gemara on Kiddushin, which says that a person should um, divide his learning into three parts. Mikra Midrash and Mikra Mishnah and Midrash. And Gemara, a person should split his learning between Scripture, um, Mishnah, and, and Gemara. Beautiful, therefore. After Birkat Torah, what happened was was that people began to say one bit of Mikra, which was the Tamid, then the Mishnah, Ezu Zvachim, then they would say some, some Gemara, which is the Spraisa of Rabbi Ishmael. And the, the Mefarshim point out that this indicates that this section of the Sidur is more focused on Limu Torah. It's more of learning than it is praying when it comes to specifically these three sections. Therefore, um, they also stress the importance of understanding what it is that we're going to be reading. Because by tefillah, tefillah has some superpowers that even if you don't understand everything you're saying, it still has some effect. It's still efficacious to a degree. But by limu Torah, you can't just read Gemara like it's uh, Tehillim. So you have to understand what you're reading. And therefore, because what we're doing is going to be um, considered limu Torah, it's important for us to understand the Mishnayot that we read and the Braytot that we read. So tonight we're going to focus on Rabbi Shmal Omer and to understand the Braita, every section of it and every part of it, um, so that when we read it, we have a better understanding of it so it could be considered learning. Even though it's considered just limu Torah, the Mekubalim still point out that this section uh, is right up to the to the Kaddish. It's right up to the to the Kaddish before Hodu. What this indicates is that this is the finalization of what's called the Tikkun or the rectification of Olam HaAsiyah. We know that the Tefillah is split up into four parts: from Asiyah, which goes higher into Yitzirah, and then from Yitzirah higher into um, Briah, and from Briah highest to Atzilut, which is Shemona Esrei, and then again it descends. So these are these four, so to speak, worlds or universes or dimensions, which a person would meditatively ascend from. So the Tikkun HaSiyah ends with Rabbi Shmuel Omer, and therefore it's finalizing that Tikkun, and it's split into 13 different levels or steps. So just like by, um, I believe it was, uh, by Baruch Shamar, and we mentioned previously by the Ketoret, the Benishchai advises to use your fingers to be Mestaref the Maaseh, to, to include, to count every one of these things with your fingers, al Piyah Kabbalah, that's what they say. So now, what is this 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 brayta? This brayta, Rabbi Shmuel Omer, is an introduction to a midrash called Torat Kohanim. Torat Kohanim is sometimes also called Sifra Sifra de Beirav. Um, it was sort of a masechta, so to speak, which was part of the midrashim, which focuses on Sefer Vayikra. Now, the introduction to it was this brayta, Rabbi Shmuel. It, it begins with the keys. It begins with the rules. There's a machloket who was written by you. It was compiled by Rav. Was it compiled by Rav Chia? Whoever it was, Rabbi Ishmael himself as a Tana. Rabbi Ishmael is was a third, one of the third generation Tanaim. So he lived. That means in the he, that means that he lived in the first century, and it also means that he studied under Rav Nechunia ben Hakana, which we spoke of when we spoke of the uh, Anabekoach um, Tefillah, who wrote the 
the Arabic Tefillah. He was one of the great early Tanaim who taught most of the early, early great Tanaim, like Rabbi Akiva and, and all the uh, all the big Tanaim. So now, throughout history, there have been a lot of Pirushim and Rabbi Ishmael. First of all, the Gemara, the Gemara whatever, the Midrash over there itself dissects Rabbi Ishmael Amar. First it says the Brayta, it says all 13 rules, and then it, for each 13, it goes Ketzad, you know, just like it would do in a Gemara, and it explains and expounds each one. So there's many Mephrashim written on it, there's the Ravad, there's there's Tosafot, there's the Rokeach, there's the Budurham, there's many, many uh, Mephrashim historically written on it. And because it's literally uh, volumes of work, we can we can probably reduce our our survey of it today to a basic um, understanding so that we understand the words, we understand the concepts, and we can move forward in order so that when we're praying, we can focus and understand what we're doing, but not that we should have um, the full, deepest understanding because there's seriously no time for that. We're going to be doing about 13 principles, and then from there we're going to have to draw from about 10 different examples in order to explain each one. So now, why is this special? Why of all the bright thoughts? We said we had to do Mikra, some scripture. Okay, so we do Parashat Tamid because that's brought every day, and that, that's, you know, symbolic of, of our Tefillat Shachrit. Why do we do Ezehu's Mikoman? Why do we do the fifth parak of Zvachim? We discussed last week that we chose that Mishnah of all the Mishnayot because it has no Machloket in it, and it's probably directly from Moshe Misinai. It has very ancient language. It's a very special Mishnah. It was learned all the way up straight from Moshe Misinai. Now, why do we pick Brayta de Bishmael? So the reason is, is obvious almost, because these, this Brayta is the keys to understanding and to linking Torah Shebechtav and Torah Shebaal Peh. These principles teach us how to, un, how to um, <laughs> in articles language, that perform the exegesis, you know what I mean? To, to, do, to do exegetical, uh, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, exegesis? I have no idea how to say it. Basically, to, to learn out things from the Psukim, that we know Mitorah Shabal Peh, but we have to link them and source them back to the words in the Torah. So this unlocks the words of the Torah for us, and this is representative of the Gemara as a whole. The Rokeach adds another reason. He says that the Mishnah in, in Tamids points out that there's 13 Kohanim who get together to bring the Tamid. Because there were 13 Kohanim who get together to bring the Tamid, we therefore bring 13 Ikarim, 13 principles of learning the Torah, so that just like the Korbanot Mechaper, so too are Divrei Torah Mechaper, and they should be mechaper for us. Okay, so now, who says there's 13? Um, <laughs> Rabbi Shmael holds there's 13. If, if you notice, it starts in the Gemara's language when we start Amar Rabbi Akiva, that means he's, a, he's just introducing a statement. If it says Rabbi Akiva Omer, that means he's contradicting something before him or he's having a, you know, he's having a solitary opinion. So there are actually three, maybe four known um, countings for how many klalim or how many principles there are to exeget- exegetically, I suppose the word is, um, learn rules out of the Torah. So Hillel listed seven, Rabbi Shmuel lists 13, and famously Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yossi Hagalili lists 32. In the back of Barchot, if you look in the back of the Masechta, there's a section with the Bryce of Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yossi Hagalili. So now the history of these distinctions isn't exactly clear. Some say that all of these countings are valid. Yeah, there are 32 rules, everyone agrees that there's 32. But Rabbi Shmael was listing only the 32 which were halachic, that we're going to learn out halacha from, from the Torah. And the Yavetz points out that, in fact, most of the, um, 
most of the halachot that we learn out of the Torah from uh, Gemara and from Midrash are learned out of these 13 principles. So therefore, because out of a majority, this was what they were learned, th these are what we used, he lists these 13s. Some say that, some speculate really, that Rabbi Shmuel, that these 13 are what Rabbi Ishmael and his yeshiva were most expert in. It's what they used the most, and therefore they, this is what they, uh, they, uh, they listed. Maybe he disagreed with the classifications that Rabbi Eliezer ben Yossi Haglili used. For example, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yossi Haglili would say that Muktamu um, Torah was a way to, to be Doresh, right? What takes precedence, what's written first, what's written last. Well, Rabbi Shmuel didn't hold that that could be considered use, uh, usable for drasha or usable for for um, halacha could be, but we do, the 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 Rishonim discussed this. The Ravad has a whole thing in his introduction about you know which ones were chosen, which ones were not. It's also problematic because there are places in the Gemara where there are places in the Gemara where it says um, that Rabbi Shmael holds of a halacha called Stam Viprat, not Klal Viprat, but Stam Viprat, and he never know and he never um, mentions it in these thirteen. So what's happening with Rabbi Shmael? So the rabbit over there discusses it and gives different reasons, perhaps why it was omitted, or maybe it was considered a part of a different rule. It is what it is. Okay, so now that's the introduction for the Brayta itself. Let us take a step-by-step -step, um, dissection of each one. So we're going to start with number one, which is Kalva Homer. So Bishmael Omer Bishlosh Midot HaTorani Dreshat. In 13 principles, the Torah is expounded. Oh, that's a good word. All right, so Mikalvachomer. The first one is from Kalvachomer. So a Kalvachomer, a simple example, in English we say a argumentum a fortiori, right? An a fortiori argument. That's where you have confidence in your first proposition, so much so that you would relay the logic of the first proposition to the second proposition. In other words, a simple example of that would be the Pasuk says, and I have this listed in the handout as one, um, in Shemot Chavkimol Pasuk Hey, Ki Hamor Tachat If you see the, the donkey of your enemy crouching under its under its burden, and you would refrain from helping him, Azov Tazovimo, help your help your your enemy. This would teach us that if the Torah is telling us to do a chesed for our enemy, so so much so that Kalvachomer it would it would imply that the um, it would imply that definitely you should do it for your friend. This is a simple understanding of a kava homer. That if if the Torah says to do a chesed to your to your um, enemy who is someone you don't like, and still you should do a chesed for him, or maybe he's a bad person, kava homer you should do it. Um, definitely you should do it for your friend, and that you shouldn't be allowed to uh, to choose first your friend or, or your enemy. It's a really simple understanding of a Kav Homer, but the truth is that when we discuss it academically, and this entire list is, the way we're going to deal with it is going to be a little more academic by default, and this year has to be academic by default because, I mean, we're discussing the Limut Torah here. When you look at it academically, Kav Homer has to work both ways, actually. You have to be able to take the stringencies from one and the leniencies on the other. So what do I mean by that? Imagine you have Shabbat. Shabbat is considered more chamur because you're chayef skilah and karet and, and uh, you're not allowed to cook for, you're not allowed to do any malacha for ochel nefesh, right, as we know. Yom Tov is less kal, is, is less stringent. It's more lenient because it's mutar to do malacha, which is ochel nefesh. You're not chayef skilah or karet in many situations. Therefore, if something was true as a chumra by Yom Tov, if something was true as a stringency by Yom Tov, then we learn a Kal V'chomer that it's also true by Shabbat. And if something is lenient by Shabbat, we learn in Kal V'chomer that it's also lenient by Yom Tov. 
and if one cannot prove that these work both ways, then the Kabbalah Homer is not valid. So academically, whenever the Gemara treats a Kabbalah Homer, it has to be able to work both ways. If you're going to prove that you're going to apply a Chumrah to one by learning a Kabbalah Homer from the other, you have to also be able to do the reverse, or else it doesn't work both ways and, and the mechanism is broken. Lastly, there's a din called Dayo Lavo Hadin Kinidon which means that if you're learning something out of the first proposition, you cannot learn more information from the first proposition than already existed in the first proposition. So for example, let's say the Torah says that a person, a person should get punishment X, and you want to learn from Kabbalah Homer that in a separate situation, a person, person should get uh, punishment X plus, you can't do that. You can only learn from a Kabbalah Homer that the other, the next person should also get punishment X. You cannot step it up because of your Kabbalah Homer and say, well, this should be even more stringent and I should give him punishment X plus plus. No, you can't do that. So where do we learn that from? It's when Hashem chastised, reprimanded Miriam. After after Moshe Rabbeinu said, Kel na'ar Allah in the Torah, and Miriam had Tzorat. So Hashem said, how are we going to cure her Tzorat? Some, uh, some people say she was already cured, but whatever it was, Hashem says, if we look here in the source sheet on one, If her father would spit in her face, wouldn't she be um, uh, shamed and, and, in, and in privacy for seven days? Let her close herself off for seven days outside the camp and then she could come back. This is telling us that Rashi points out over there in Chumash, as the Gemara does, that if her father would spit in her face, she would be is um, she would be uh, banished for seven days. Kavachomer to the Shechina, she should leave for fourteen days. No, Dayo Lavo Menadin Liot Kinidon. We can only learn from the the din from the first proposition as much information as it has lihiot kinidon as what you're learning it out from. Therefore, even though this is the shechina, this is Hashem, and it's not her father, we still can't up the punishment. She still has to only Miriam had to leave the camp for seven days and then come back. She wasn't going to get a super mitzora treatment, uh, mitzoraat treatment. Um, she was going to get a regular treatment of Mitzorah for seven days because the Kabbalah Homer does not teach you more than that. That's one of the places we learn. It's enough to learn from the Din to be like the Nidon, which is what we're learning out. That is Kabbalah Homer in a nutshell. Okay, number two. From a Gzerah Shava. So that literal word means a decree of, of equality or the, of equivalency but it's generally translated as a similarity of words. Now, what it is, is not really a rule. Gezer shava is when we have a misora. It's a rule that we, that we could apply, a principle that we apply, but only when we have a tradition that it's true. And what is that? That two halachot are linked by symbol of a word or phrase. So if you have two parashiot in the Torah, we could connect their halachot, we could say that this thing has the same halachot as that thing, or same halacha as that thing, and how do we know that? We link it because they both say the same word, like bimo'ado, or korcha korcho, or karcha karcha. So the example that I brought here um, in the sheet, from the Gemara and Makot, so there's two places where the Torah says a person is not allowed to rip his hair out in grief. One is by regular Bnei Israel, regular Jews. They're not allowed to tear their hair out in grief. And another place is by the Kohanim. So the Gemara discusses why there are two. 
So let's see the let's see the Gemara. Tanu Rabanan lo yikerhu etc. Yachol afilu karach arba v'chamesh krichot lo yechayav alachat. I would think that if that if, even if a person ripped out his hair once. Uh, twice, three times, he would only be high of one korban. In other words, his punishment would only be X. Tamul Omar, the pasu continues, lo yikachu korcha, right? That you cannot uh, tear out the balding and make yourself bald. Lechayav akol korcha vekorcha, you're obligated to, for punishment on every single balding. Birosham, Tamul Omar, why does it say birosham? Lefishin emar, because it says, by b'nei Yisrael, lo titko didub lo tisimu korcha b'nenechem, Limate that you shouldn't uh, create a bold spot for for your de- for your deceased. That's why it adds by Bnei Yisrael l'rabot kol harosh to add the whole the whole head. So I would only know this halacha by the Kohanim, that the uh, Torah the Torah gives Kohanim extra stringencies and extra mitzvot. Yisrael Minayin, how would I know that uh, that that, uh, that a Jew is also chayav in the same thing? So here's the Gzer Shavah, Nemar kan korcha, v'nemar lehalan korcha. It says here korcha, and it says in that parasha korcha, ma lehalan chayav al kol korcha v'korcha, v'chayav al harosh kibein hainayim, and you're chayav on the whole head, just like between the eyes. Afkan chayav al kol korcha v'korcha, v'chayav al harosh kibein hainayim, ma lehalan alamet, afkan alamet. So we link the halachot of a kohen to a, to a, to a, to Yisrael, and they both have um, the same halachot that they can't tear out their hair for uh, for their the grief of their mates. And Rashi and Chumash discusses why it has to has to say it twice. Okay, which is technically confusing, but why it has to say it twice. That's Gzera Shava in a nutshell. The next halacha number three is called Mibinyanach Av Vikatuvechad Umibinyan Av Ushnei Kituvim. So this is probably one of the most simple. A general rule which is learned out of one pasuk, or a general rule which is learned out of many psukim. So the example I brought on the sheet is very simple. The Torah says that Lo yakum Number three. So basically, you cannot use one witness in a court. You need to use two witnesses in order to make a person liable for a punishment or for a payment. What this pasuk tells us is that whenever the Torah is going to refer to edut, to testimony, by default it means to testimony, unless it specifies otherwise. So that's called a binyanav, mikatuvachad. Mishnei ketuvim is something where like more than one pasuk will deal deal with a halacha, like by mumin, by 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 a mum behema. We have many psukim which talk about the mumim, and if you say if you say a mum simply, you mean the mumim of of all the mumim of a behema, like rule a rule that could be learned out of multiple psukim. Okay, so very very simple. The next one is also fairly, fairly very simple. This is rule number four, miklaluprat, from a generalization followed by a specification. When the when the verse will first say a general rule and then start to specify, we follow the rule of the specific one. The most famous example of this is the first couple of psukim of, of Sefer Vayikra, which talk about bringing an ola. Um, specifically, well, the Tamid that we discussed recently. If you look at number four, So first it says, 
that a person who brings an offering to Hashem from the animals, and then it starts to specify So first, behema could sound like every beast, every kind of animal, a lion, a tiger, a bear, or a mai, but the Torah then narrows it down and says, bakar and son, these are the animals which you could bring for an ola. That's a klal prat. The prat is the same thing, but in reverse. That first it starts with a prat, and then it says the klal. That means that you have to follow the halacha of the klal. If first comes the prat, then comes the klal, we follow the halacha of the prat. What's an example? Number five. V'kein ta'asel chamoro. V'kein ta'asel l'simato. V'kein ta'asel l'kolaveidatachicha. This is a pasuk in Dvarim Chavpet. Uh, pasuk the Pasuk is talking about Hashavat Avedah. So over there, the Pasuk says that if you're going to return an Avedah, you should do the same thing for his donkey, the same thing for his baged. You should do for all the lost items of your friend. You cannot rest, you have to actually try to get it back to him. Therefore, we see that we're going to go Basar the Klau, because that came second. Alright, that's that's Pratu Klau. Now comes a slightly more complicated one. This is Klau Uprat Uklau. That's where the Torah will say first a klal, a generalization, then a specification, and then it will go back to the specific. So in this case, what we do is that we say we keep the klal, we keep the generalization. However, we follow the generalization according to the the attitude or the um, in the according to the attributes of that prat. Why did it choose those pratim more than any other prat? So we're going to use it ke'en ha-prat. So if you look, it says klalu pratu klal, e'atadan elakein ha-prat. That's what Rabbi Shmuel said. You have to do it similar to the specifics. So let's give an example. An example would be from the Gemara and Baba Kama Samach Beit as we have listed in the source sheet here in 6. Menahani mili. Ditanu Rabbanan al-kol dvar pesha the, the Gemara is talking about a Shvat Shomer, that if a person makes a, a, a Shvua that he, that he was watching a, an item and he has to swear that, he, that it was stolen or that, it was, that he didn't steal it by himself, that it was actually lost. So the Gemara says, the term on a Koldvar Pesha, Klal, right, on all things that could be uh, considered iniquity, Al Shor Al Chamor Al Seh, that's Al Ve Al Salma, that's Prat, that's specific, right, a Shor Chamor Al Seh and a piece of clothing. And then it says, meaning on all lost things, it returns to the klal. Says the Gemara, When you have a klal prat, you can only take a kena prat. Just like a prat, meaning these things that are listed, a, a cow and a donkey and, and a se and, 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 a, and a garment, are things which can be moved and they have intrinsic value. So too, does a shvua apply only to a thing which can be, which is uh, portable or mobile, and has intrinsic value? What does that exclude? Yatsu karkaot a metaltalin. Yatsu avadim karkaot. So, for example, land. One would not make a shvua shomer for that. Um, one would not make a shvua for avadim. A person yatsu shtarot. You would exclude a shtar because it has no intrinsic value to the paper. Even though they can be mobile, they don't have any intrinsic value. That's ke'ena prat. That when that, for example, by this shavua, we learn we only make, we do make a shavua for all things, but only if they follow these two attributes. That's klalu pratu klal. The next rule. The next rule is mi klal shut sarichli prat mi prat shut sarichli klal. Right. That was the the eighth rule in the in the um, I'm sorry the seventh rule in 
the Brice of Rabbi Shmael. So this is very simple, but it's important to the, to the degree that it's telling us that it's locking two things together. For example, the Pasuk says by Pidon uh, Hamar, by Pidon Bechor, it says in 7, Vayomer hash, uh, Bamidbar Gimel Mem, Vayomer Hashem El Moshe, Pikod Kol Bechor Zachar Levnei Yisrael, count every male firstborn to Bnei Yisrael, Miben Chodesh Amala Vesa Etin Spashmotam. So these two words, Kol Bechor, and these three words, Kol Bechor and Zachar, are locked together. So Kol Bechor, um, if I would just say Kol Bechor, I would learn from that even girls, right? If it didn't say Zachar, I would say Kol Bechor, every firstborn, boy or male or female. If it just said Zachar, I would think all males, whether firstborn or not firstborn. When it says Kol Bechor Zachar, it tells us definitely and only, if and only if, basically that you do the male firstborns are the only ones to be counted. A very simple rule. It's trying to tell you that these two are going to be inextricably locked together. Why is that necessary to tell us this rule? Ayin Sham in Torah Kohanim. As it's expounded over there, there's uh, many more examples that could be given, but this is one, one of the more simple rules. Okay, so number eight. This is said in the in the Brayta as Kol Davar anything that was part of a general principle, V'yatsamin HaKlal, and later it was singled out, L'lamed, to teach a specific piece of information. doesn't come to teach a piece of information for itself. It comes to tell uh, to tell you a ruling for the entire klal. It's not here for its specific for itself. It is here for the entire group. So now what does this mean? An example of this is very famous. The Pasuk says, in, over here in, Shema, uh, in Shemot, Perach uh, Pasuk Gimel, the, 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 the Torah is telling us to keep Shabbat. V'shamru b'nei Yisrael the Shabbat. And it ends off, Lo tivaru esh Shabbat. One should not light a fire in all of your dwellings on the Shabbat day. Now that we know that there's 39 malachot of Shabbat. Of all the malachot, the Torah singles out Lo tivaru esh b'kolmoshvotechem. Why Lo tivaru esh? So when the Torah singles out a prat, when, it, when it's yatsam in klal, it's not coming to teach just for itself. It's not telling us, coming to tell us a new rule just by esh. It's coming to tell us a rule by all the malachot. The Gemara points out that the rule that this pasuk is coming to tell us, in specific, just to, to relate to this example for the moment, is that every um, every one of the thirty-nine malachot, if you do three of them, four of them, five of them, you bring a separate pun- a separate offering for each one. You bring a separate chatat for each one. I might think that I have to do even if I do ten malachot out of the thirty-nine, I bring one chatat. No, if you definitely do ten, you bring ten. That's why it was singled out. Okay, number nine. Anything that was part of a general principle. And then it was singled out to discuss a, another point that was similar to the general principle. It's coming out to be more lenient and not to be uh, more machmir. So this is liton kinyano. The important part here is that it's coming to point out another point which is similar and on the same topic. So an example of this is the pasuk in Varim Yutes um, pasuk hey, Parak Yutes pasuk hey. So the pasuk over there is talking about 
a person who kills someone bishogeg, right? We all learned uh, the Gemara Makot with the axe, person swinging an axe. What happens is that the, uh, the the metal flies out of the axe. It goes kills goes and kills a guy. So now. A murderer um, is generally chayav mita. Why would the Torah come and tell us? Why would it um, single? Why is the Torah telling us a a new case of a person who murders another person? So let's read the pasuk really, really quickly. It says, A person who uh, let's say approaches his friend in the, in the forest to cut axe, and his uh, hand, uh, I believe, slips from. Uh, no, is uh, attached to the to the axe to cut the wood. And the uh, I'm sorry, as he's swinging the axe, the 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 metal flies. and finds his friend who made and he dies. So this is coming to tell us a whole story about someone who murders somebody. Why do you need to tell me a story about somebody who murders somebody? It's because we're trying to be make kill. We're trying to be lenient. We're coming and saying that this is similar a similar topic. But over here it's more lenient that we're being mekil because it was shogeg and he doesn't get capital punishment. Instead he gets are miklat, he gets a banishment or whatever the punishment would have been at that time. That is halachatet, which is yatsam and aklal, liton, taun, sorry, tes, was it? Nine. Yeah, rule number nine, uh, rule tet. Okay. Um, okay. So number ten. Number ten is v'kol davar shahiyabichlal. Anything that was part of the general principle. V'yatzaliton taun acher shloch yenino. Then it comes to say, uh, discuss something which has no shaychut. It comes to tell you chumrot and kulot. A great example of this is an amahavriya. So the pasu- I'll just read a simple pasuk over here in, in number ten here. Shemot chafal of Zion. It says a person who sells his daughter as a maidservant. She doesn't leave the same way avadim leave out. Now. We already know the halachot of servants. We already know the halachot of Jewish servants. Why does the Torah come and single out and tell us a completely, um, um, what do you call it? Why does it single out an amahavriyah as, um, as a not similar topic. So therefore, the reason is, as the Pesukim go on to explain, that she has completely different halachot. And Amavriya has completely different halacha, different halachot. It, it goes on to explain that she can be married off by her master, which is a chumrah, but she also has kulot, that if she works for longer than six years, she's, she's freed. If her master dies, she's freed. Um, she can be bought out. I don't remember all the halachot, but basically, um, and Amar has completely different halachot, and therefore it's singled out. It's yatsamina klal shalokinyano with a in in a manner which has nothing to do with the previous uh, pesukim, and it's there to teach us both kulot and chumrot, such as in Amar That's that's uh, an example of number ten. Number eleven. And it's coming to um, to tell us a new halacha. I'm sorry, I've lost my place for a second. This is very interesting and also very easy to understand. Basically, if the Torah tells you a new piece of information about a certain person or about a certain halacha, it tells you that this thing has a, this thing falls into a new category. You cannot 
get out of that category until the Torah tells you that that is so. So a great example of this is a woman who's a Kohen, right? She's born into a Kohen household. So she's allowed to eat truma. But what happens if she goes and marries a Yisrael? So the Torah says if she marries a Yisrael, she can no longer eat truma. So now she was, the Torah goes and it's, what it does is it's, What's the language here? She was part of Kwanim. She was part of the general uh, group of Kwanim. Now the Torah says she has a new din. She has a new category. She has a new, uh, what's the word? She's in a new legal category. She cannot return to that legal category unless the Torah would specify that she could. And the Torah does. The Torah specifies that if her husband dies or if she gets divorced, then the Torah specifies that she can go back to her father's house and continue to eat truma. But had the Torah not done that, then you cannot um, return her to that previous allowance. That's the halachav of davar chadash of don davar chadash. Once you're you're um, singled out to teach us a new din, you don't get um, divorced from that din, so to speak, until the Torah um, puts you back there. Very simple to understand. The next one is Vidavar Halamed Minyano Vidavar Halamed Misofo. Something which is a matter derived from the text and something which is a matter derived from the end of the text. This is also, in a word, this rule is context. For example, the Pasuk says, if you look at the source number 12, Lotitzach, Lotinaf, Lotignov, so how do we know that lotignov means kidnapping? How do we know that it doesn't mean stealing? Well, obviously, because it's talking about capital punishments. Lotirzach, don't kill. Lotinaf, don't commit adultery. Lotignov. The only time stealing is a capital punishment is if it's stealing humans. So kidnapping, so when it says lotignov here, we learn out that lotignov is also capital punishment, which would be kidnapping. So in other words, context. Sometimes you'll also have a case where um, I, the second source I brought over there um, is uh, in Vayikra that you learn something from you learn from the end of the text. So, for example, in Vayikra, Perak Yurchet, Pasuk Vav and Zayin, the first Pasuk says, that a person may not um, have Biyah with somebody who is related to him. Then, well, okay, what, what do you mean with someone who is related to you? It says a general rule. So that later, the next Pasuk, it gives context. It says, It goes on to list many different cases which are asur so we learn out that the first pasuk was not trying to tell us that you can't marry any relative the first pasuk was coming to tell us that to introduce the general rule and then later it was going to give you more context from context we know that that first pasuk is not a klal it's not like a, a, a enforced general rule we learn that it has specifics it's not the same as klal prat because over here we're trying to indicate that the halacha which is stated needs more context instead of a rule and specification. I did forget to point out that Klal Pratu Klal is the way that Rabbi Shmuel, uh, Rabbi Shmuel, the Tana Rabbi Shmuel understands it, that it's first a, um, 
it is first a generalization, then a specification, then a generalization. There's another way in the Tanaim to understand it, which is riboy miut viriboy. Riboy meaning we add, we're here to add more things. Miut, we're coming to exclude some things. And then riboy, and then you're coming to add more things. So riboy v'miut, v'miut, riboy, all the halachot to be the same. Just like klal prat, prat klal, riboy, miut, miut, riboy. However, when it comes to riboy, miut, riboy, the halacha would be different. Because the understanding and the logic is different. So therefore, we would follow more the riboy. If we do a riboy and then a miut, and then we go back and we include all things, so then we would follow the all inclusion, and therefore there's machlokat anaim by riboy miot to riboy versus klal pratu klal. If the halacha is the same, Rabbi Shmuel actually holds klal pratu klal, and that's the way we generally go in the Gemara. We don't hold always of riboy miot to riboy. I just forgot to mention that. Okay. Lastly, the last halacha is v'chein shnei ketuvim hamachayshim zed zed. Two verses which seem to contradict one another. Until a third verse will come and reconcile them. Very simple to understand. A great example of this is the last example here, um, the psukim regarding the the incident of the Ma'amad uh, Har Sinai. So first, the pasuk says, "Vayomer Hashem El Moshe, Kol Tomar Abnei Yisrael Tamer Yitem Kimin Hashemayim Dibarati Machem." Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu says to Bnei Yisrael that Hashem spoke to you from the heaven. The next pasuk says. Vayed Hashem al Har not the next pasuk, whatever previous pasuk says in Shemot Yotet Chaf. Vayed Hashem al Har Sinai el Rosh Har. Hashem went onto Har Sinai, the top of the mountain. Vayikra Hashem l'Moshe el Rosh Har vayal Moshe. Right, that Hashem was on top of the mountain. So where was he? Was he in heaven? Was he on top of the mountain? Where did the Shechina rest? The Katuv Hashlishi, the third pasuk, comes and explains it to us. So the third pasuk is in Dvarim. Perek Dalit pasuk Lamin Vav. Min Hashemayim Hishmiachet Kolol liyaserka liyaserka that from Shemayim you heard his voice to reprimand you, and on the land he showed you his great fire, and you heard his voice from the fire. So the truth is both, that uh, from the Shemayim you heard the voice, and then on the, on the ground you saw the fire, and the voice almost came from Shemayim through the fire. Okay, so that's the, uh, how the third pasuk reconciles the apparent contradiction. So that is the 13 rules. There's actually two ways to... Um, split these into 13. So there's the Rashi and the Rush. They do it the way we have it. However, Sadia Gaon um, is brought as saying, and I, don't, I didn't find this inside, but I'm sure it was quoted by the Buddha He says that instead of combining Klalu Prat um, and Pratu, I think we split, yeah, we split Klalu Prat to Pratu Klal. He splits Davar halamed minyano and davar halamed misofo. So, in other words, minyan minyano and misofo, he splits those as two, and the rest of the Rishonim split klalu prat pratu klal as two. That's how we have it. But two ways of counting to thirteen. Obviously, there's thirteen rules here. So now, the next thing we find in the sidur, in all of the sidurim, after Bishmal Omer, right before Kaddish, and right before we're, we're about to get into the Olam Hasiyas, Rabbi Yehuda ben Tema Omer, Rabbi Askanem Namer, Rabbi. Bold as a leopard. <laughs> I just closed my seat door. I'm sorry. Vikal kanesher and and light as an eagle, meaning swift as an eagle. Viratz katzvi lasotus vigibor kari and 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 uh, swift like a deer. Vigibor kari lasota sonavicha shabashemayim to perform and and strong as a lion to perform the service of your father in heaven. Who hayal mar Yehuda ben Tema would also say as panim legehenum a person who is haughty or 
or chutzpidek uh, will will find his way to Gehenim. Boshet panim laganeden, and a person who is humble or bashful will find himself in Ganeden. So now, this is only found in the Svaradis Sidurim. And Baruch Hashem, I have a lot of Sidurim at my disposal, uh, and a lot of Svarim on, on Tefillah, but for the life of mine, I have no idea how this ended up in the Sidur. Ashkenazim don't have it, the early Sidurim don't have it, it is a mystery to me how this Mishnah ended up here after Bishmal Omer. I did find in the Beit Oved, the Livorno Sidurim from a few hundred years ago, I think it's two, three hundred years ago by now, did put Yehuda ben Tema over there. The reason they put it is not apparent. Um, Kafachayim doesn't bring it up, and Eshchai doesn't bring it. I'm going to have to assume that it's the Chida. Um, I, the Chida wrote like 60 Sfarim, so I can't find it. But um, I have no source. I do not know why Yehuda ben Tema is here. There, it's interesting. This Mishnah is notable. It's a Mishnah Pirkei Avot Perak Perak Hey. It's notable because the tour and the Shulchan Aruch start off Shulchan Aruch and the Arba Turim with this Mishnah. They said they start off the the you know the halachot saying that a person should be diligent and devoted in their service of Hashem and they shouldn't be embarrassed of people who might deride them for following halachot. So it could be that because this is a morning kind of meditation, like to be Gibor Kari, that they put it here. But that's only speculation on my part. I have no idea otherwise why they put it here. Lastly, that you should build, this should be your will before Hashem, the God of our Father and our forefathers, uh, that the Besamitah should be built soon in our days. And you should give our portion in your Torah so that we should be able to um, perform your commandments and to serve you wholeheartedly. Now, this is borrowed from the end of Shmon Esrei. This tefillah, this was written for the, you know, as the end of Shmon Esrei, that we say, the Ashkenazim say, uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen their, their, their girsah. So they have the same girsah at the end of Shmon Esrei. It was borrowed from there. It was obviously added here because we're finally, finally, finally done the entire section of the Korbanot and the entire section of the Limutara. And so it's, the idea is most likely to finally, instead of saying those Ribbon Alamims that it should be like we brought a Tamid and Ribbon Alamims that our learning should be like this and like that, finally to say a personal prayer, to say a, a heartfelt prayer which indicates that we actually are longing for the Beit HaMikdash to come back so we could actually do the Avodah, it was placed all the way, all the way here at the end. This was in the Sidurim as far back as Reish Pechet. Um, again, the Arizal, I forgot to mention, even in the Arizal Sidur, it doesn't, it, the, the, the one from Reish Pechet doesn't have this Yudah Ben Temas, so it's a mystery to me how it ended up there. But that con- so concludes the Olam HaAsiyah. Next week, Bezrat Hashem, we will begin studying Kaddish and the concepts of Kaddish. We'll have to introduce Kaddish, what Kaddish accomplishes, what the Halachot are, and Bezrat Hashem, we will continue with that next week. 